So morning, everybody. My name is Tommy Jones. and the pastor of this particular establishment. I am glad you guys are here. Today, uh, we, we wrap up this series where we've spent the last four weeks, and, and I have really enjoyed this, and I hope you have too. We've, we've been talking about the, the letters that Paul wrote. And we're on this year of the Bible, and I hope you're still on this journey with us. Um, and in the midst of this year in the Bible, we sort of camped out in a few letters from Paul. Uh, remember, Paul wrote letters to churches, not books. Uh, he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. He wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, to, to Galatia, to Philippi. And so if you're reading First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and now Philippians, you're reading letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he planted to correct them or encourage them or whatever. And so we're centering this series around this foundational verse from Second Corinthians 6.14, and you should have this one memorized by now. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And what Paul is saying in this, in this really simple passage is, Paul is a slave to Christ alone. And, and, and the slave wore a yoke. Remember, the ox wore a yoke so the master could drive it. And Paul said, I will serve no other gods but one, so I will be yoked together with people who are serving Christ. It makes no sense for a slave to have multiple masters. That doesn't work out. And, and so Paul says... I am a slave to Christ. I have chosen of my free will to put on this yoke. Paul understood that Christ gave Paul his life. And in return, Paul gave his life to Christ. And so we're looking at these idols that try to exalt themselves over the glory of our God. And we're looking at 2 Corinthians 10.5 where it says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every emotion, every resource, every thought, every idea, everything, Paul said, we take it all captive, not to make it obedient to self, but to make it obedient to Christ. See, Paul was like a soldier who took things captive, not for himself, but to bring them back and give them to the king. Because Paul understood he was not the king, he was in service to the king. And so everything Paul had became captive to the king. The king right here. Everything Paul had. Because Paul was a slave to Christ. And so we've looked at some of these idols and, and we talked about, uh, just for fun, I know I did this last week, but did anyone remember what we talked about in week one? Money, good job. Anyone remember what we talked about in week two? Sex. Week, last week, anyone remember what we talked about last week? Family. All right, so we've got four idols that we're dealing with. Money and sex and family. And this week we are finishing off the series by talking about our fourth and final idol. And, and let me tell you this though. There's a lot more idols than I covered in four weeks. Uh, maybe you're like, he didn't cover mine. Read the Bible and cover it yourself. But there's, there's a lot more idols that could have been covered in this series. Maybe next year we'll come back and do 27 weeks of this. Because there's a lot of idols that try to exalt themselves above God. But this week we're finishing off with the fourth idol in this series, and that is self. Yeah, this one's got to be dealt with. So today we're going to talk about, I mean, and I wrote this one. There's, I've been convicted every week in this series not, that, not this one, though, because I'm actually perfect in this area. So this one's for y'all, not for me. I'm kidding. Totally kidding. This is me, too. You know what? Like, as I was writing this, and I know I've talked about this a little bit, we are far too busy. And do you know why? Because we think far too much about ourselves. 
Like we have convinced ourselves that the world cannot spin on its axis if we are to step away from it for a little while. God forbid I put down my cell phone or step off Facebook or take a day off or a vacation or Sabbath because if I do those things, the world will undoubtedly fail. It will crumble in half. Romans 12, 3, this is good. It says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Amen. I was hoping you'd hit that one. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment and according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I just thought of something, and it's not in my notes here. But he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but rather with sober judgment. Do you hear that? You ever, I'm not, not anybody in this room, but sometimes when people drink too much, <laughs> they think they're bigger than they are, right? And you're like, oh, I got this one. You're like, no, no, you don't. You're just drunk. That's why it says, think of yourself with sober judgment. He's like, man, sober up and get real. You're not going to win that fight, little man. As a matter of fact, someone said that exact thing to me one time. <laughs> but he's saying, think of yourself as sober judgment. He's like, man, look at yourself in real. We think about ourselves so much. And we spend so much of our lives and so much of our time focused on ourselves and on this world, especially here in America. And I love this country. Don't get me wrong. Y'all know America, guns, whatever. I love this country. But... But in this country, our motto is, is we have the right to three things. Anyone know what they are? Life. What's the next one? Liberty. And what's the third one? The pursuit of happiness. Right? I have the right to the pursuit of happiness. And so th this becomes our mindset. And so everything I do and everything I think becomes around my right, my God-given right to the pursuit of happiness. And we think we're going to find that by focusing on the things of this world so we become completely addicted to this world. So much, we're so addicted to this world that we call avoiding social media a fast. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine what they're thinking in heaven? When they're like, Jesus, Jesus been in the desert for 40 days with only bread and water. And we're like, I'm going to give up Instagram for two days, God. And he's like... <laughs> good job way to go you're really stepping out for the kingdom and we are so addicted to the world and because we're so evolved in it wrapped in it because we think about ourselves so much we think about this world so much and as, as I started to think about that this week I was looking out the window of my office at the world that I am so addicted to at the world that I think I need so much at the world that I think I love and at the world who I believe loves me. And I start thinking, man, what is this world? What is it? It's a world where fathers leave children every day. That's the world I'm addicted to. It's a world where people walk into schools and shoot people. It's a world where we throw away food and thousands of miles away, people would die to get the food we throw away. It's a world where I use the bathroom in clean water. And there are other places where they walk miles to get it. It's a world where sin has taken this incredibly beautiful masterpiece that God created and stained it. 
It's like somebody walked into a museum when there was a Michelangelo on the wall and they just threw blood all over it. That's the world that I'm so in love with. And it's not that there aren't beautiful things. There are beautiful things. There's amazingly good things in this world. But even the most beautiful thing in this world is a fraction of what we were designed to experience. And this is the world that I am so in love with. And this is the world where I spend all my time. And this is the world where I spend all my resources. And this is the world that that has captured my heart. This broken, decaying, dying world. And that's where I spend my time when I have access to God himself. God, I have access to the one who will allow me to be salt and light in this world. I have access to the one who who came so that we might have life in this world. It is the height of arrogance when I spend more time on Facebook than I do in the presence of God. But I do it. And then I go back and Luke, read Luke 14 again. Man, you should have this one memorized too. Luke 14, 25. Listen to what he's got this crowd. And Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And why does he say that? Because he loves us. He loves us. And he's like, man, you're so engrossed with your life in this world that you can't even see that you're not of this world. Like we are foreigners and strangers here. We are exiles. This is not our home. If it's not our home, then why do I spend so much of me? Why is there so much of me invested in this? And I'm always thinking about me so much to the point that I don't have time for him because there's a part of me that's part of this world, but that's the part that he came to rescue and restore and reclaim. He's like, no, no. I, I, was, I was thinking about this. I mean, God stuck his hand down into our world so that we might be with him. And his hand is just like there. And all he's wanting me to do is reach up and grab it. Instead, I'm doing this, bowing to a phone. I swear, and my brother, I told you all this is the smart, the smart thing he said. He said, aliens would think we worship uh, Altel or AT&T because we do this all day to our phones. We're bowing to phones. Altel, that's how old I am. <laughs> I still call it Altel Arena. But really, I mean, like, we are so obsessed with the things of this world, and there's so much of us wrapped up in this world, and this is why, and this is the truth, and you guys know it, and it's not offensive. This is why we pray so rarely, right? It's a special time when I stop and pray. It should be a special time when I don't stop and pray. That should be the special time. This is why we spend so little time in the Word. It's why we have to beg ourselves to set time apart and actually sit with God in the word because we're so addicted to this world because we think this world is going to make me happy. It's why, it's why worship is such a weird thing, why we go nuts at Razorback games, but they sang that third song, and, and you know, we're st- this room should have, the roof should have blown off this place after that third song. But we're so worried about what the world thinks because we're pursuing happiness, and, and it's like God's like, no, 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 pursue me. This is not forever. This is not my everything. This is not my eternity. There is something bigger going on, and it's not me. (laughs) So God's like, man, just humble yourself. Just be with me.
less of me, more of him. And I've talked about these idols for the last four weeks, and here's the truth. I don't know what to, to do to get you to believe me, because guilt is the worst motivator for change the world has ever seen. If it wasn't, you'd all still be at your old church. <laughs> guilt just doesn't work. And a lot of churches use guilt to try to get people to change, right? And they're like, you know, they try to make you feel guilty. And guilt, you know what guilt will do? Just enough to not get in a lot of trouble, right? And the other thing about guilt is it sort of goes away after a little while. Like you can do something once and feel guilty. You do it a second time, you don't really feel as guilty. The 872nd time, you're like, eh, whatever. All right, guilt is a terrible motivator for change. And so... I was, talk, I was talking to my team this week. I, I normally have these uh, good transitions because I, I take them from Andy Stanley. But this one, I didn't. This one, I have no transition. It's like, I'm supposed to give you some practical application for how to deal with the idols in your life. But I don't, ha I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what the practical application here is to begin to become less dependent on, you know, self and, and to put family in the right perspective and to not be a slave to sex and not be a slave to me. I don't know exactly how to tell you to do this, so I'm just going to tell you reasons that I have chosen to become a slave to Christ. And I believe this. If, if you will buy in to the reasons of why Christ is better than family, sex, money, or self. You won't need some Yahoo to give you practical application. God will write the truth in your heart. So here's what I want to spend the rest of our little time doing today. I want to talk about why. Why is God better? Why is God better? Why, why instead of making ourselves a slave, why make ourselves a slave to God? And here's the first reason that I am deciding that I am trying, that I am fighting to make myself a slave to Christ. The first reason is this. I am learning to fear God more than anything else. And I know that's not popular. And I know people don't preach about that a lot because it's not touchy-feely. But I am learning to fear God. As I read this book, I'm being introduced to a God that cannot be manipulated, that cannot be controlled, that cannot be bargained with. I'm being introduced to a God who has the power to, power to open the earth and swallow armies. A God who, at, at a second's notice, if God decides this is all over, then it's all over. I'm beginning to fear this God. Job 18, guys, this, may, this is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. And I mean it this time. Like, I'm going to take my time with this, so I'm just going to sit down. Y'all just listen to this, okay? Uh, we're going to read a lot here. Job, Job 38. Just, just if you want to shut your eyes, shut your eyes. This is God talking to Job, and just listen to this. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Don't you love when God is sarcastic? <laughs> Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? 
Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds in its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed its limits and set the doors and the bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and the upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, do you know all of this that is the voice of God amen amen yes and this is the God who we serve and he is powerful beyond our wildest dreams and he is the most powerful force the world will ever know has ever known he's everything he holds the keys to life and death and if at this very moment he wanted me on my knees he could put me there and there would not be a thing I could do about it. And one day I will stand in front of him. And my first emotion won't be giving him a high five like he's my homeboy. I will fall to my knees in his glory and go, my God, it's you. And his glory will almost be painful for me. Because he is so powerful and so holy and so true and so right. And I will say, my God, it's you. And I am learning to fear this God. I'm learning to fear him. But, but, I'm not just learning to fear him. Because in some strange way that goes beyond everything I know and understand, my fear of him is causing me to love him more. Philippians 2 Five eight, listen to this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used on his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even on a cross. So you're telling me that this God, who, who could do anything he wanted, this God who demands respect, this God who speaks life, who holds the keys to death, He died on a cross for me. And so I love him. And I love him more because I now believe what he's capable of. And knowing that, knowing what he could do, knowing what he can do, but believing in what he did, it makes me love him more. It's this super strange thing where God says, fear me. Fear me. And then the minute I fall down on my knees in front of him and say, God, I fear you, he says, don't fear me. I'm sorry. 
Because when I'm down on my knees in that moment in front of God in his glory, do you know what he's going to do? He's not going to smite me with his hand and, and punish me for all my sin. Because he took the punishment for all my sin. He's going to reach down and pick me up and say, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. I love you so much. And I picture him just taking me and kissing the top of my head. Just kissing the top of my head like I do Kinley. Welcome home, boy. Welcome home. He loves me that much. Like He loves me that much. And when I understand that, it changes everything. And let me tell you, if you don't fear God, then you should fear God. But if you do fear God, you don't have to fear God. <laughs> I know. I don't get it either. I just read the book. I mean, look, what's, every time he shows up to somebody who fears him, what does he say? Don't fear. Don't fear. But when they don't fear him, what's he say? Fear me. You're making a bad choice here. But for those who fear, his response is, have no fear. I don't even, un just soak that in. Like, this is the God we serve. And this is how much he loves us. And that perfect hand that he reached down is the equivalent of me washing my hand 50 times and reaching it into a sewer. And he reached his hand into our world, not to, not to pluck me out of the world, but so that he might empower me in the world. He's like, you're in this broken place here. Make it better. And he doesn't intimidate me with his power. He fills me with his power. I mean, come on. That's our God. That is the God we serve. And for that reason, I love him. And I want to be a slave. And he loves me more. He loves me more than sex. He loves me more than I love me. He loves me more than my family loves me. He loves me more than money loves me. He loves me more. Therefore, I love you. The final reason that, that I'm trying, I'm on this, want to be a slave to him is because I'm getting to see fruit. Like I'm starting to see the fruit of this and it takes a while. And you know this. Those are, there's other slaves in this room. You know what I'm talking about. Like at first, you don't see the fruit. And even along the way, there's some, there's some bumps in the road. There's some rough nights. There's some bad decisions. There's some, you know, regrets. There's all these things. But, like, if you continue to press forward in spite of your emotions, despite what's going on, despite the reality of how many times you fail, if you continue to press forward, you will see fruit. Listen to Paul. He describes the fruit, and he says this in Philippians 3, 7. But whatever were gains to me, I consider them loss. For the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I'm not asking you to consider your family garbage, neither is Paul, neither is Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider money garbage. Neither is Paul, neither is Jesus. We do great things with money. I'm certainly not asking you to consider sex garbage or I don't consider myself garbage. You shouldn't consider yourself garbage. But compared to him, but compared to him, but compared to him, nothing else matters. 
But compared to him, it doesn't matter. But compared to him, and when we begin to get that mindset, when, when, we can, when we can begin to taste that fruit, that compared to him, nothing else matters, then everything that no longer matters gets better because of him. This is, again, one of those crazy, I, I don't know why it works, it just does. But my money gets better when my money is surrendered to him because now my money has meaning. Right? My family gets better when my family is surrendered to him because now my family has meaning. Sex gets better when sex is surrendered to him because now it has meaning. Self gets better when self is surrendered because now I have purpose. Everything gets better when it's surrendered to him. So to count them garbage and to give them to Christ is for Christ to take that garbage, polish it up, make it clean, and say, here's something better. Because that's what he does. That's who he is. He takes all these things and says, make them obedient to me and I'll make them serve you. What? Why? Because he can. Because he's God and because he loves us in a crazy way that's just amazing. He just loves us. And so he does these things for us. And I'm beginning to see it. I'm beginning to believe it. I'm beginning to think that maybe Paul wasn't a mythical figure in a far-off world. That maybe he was a man like me. Maybe he was a person like you. Maybe for a, a part of his life, he, he did nothing for God. As a matter of fact, he was an enemy. And then he came to Christ. And even after he came to Christ, he still had a thorn in his flesh that he could not get rid of. And so he had to move forward in spite of feelings and emotions and be obedient, even when obedience was so difficult. But maybe that's true. And maybe even in spite of the thorn in his flesh and in spite of his past, he really got to a point with Christ where everything else was garbage. I'm beginning to believe it's a true story. And I'm beginning to believe that it, if it could happen to him, it could happen to me. Let me tell you guys what the finish line looks like real quick. It's um, Philippians 1.20. This is the finish line. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be, in shame, be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If there is breath in my lungs, then I will breathe Christ. And when there is no breath, then I will stand in the presence of Christ. That's the finish line. Run the race. There can be only one. Choose this day who you will serve.